New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. Hello, I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Today I'm hosting Sarah Van Gelder. She's a co-founder of Yes! Magazine, as well as the author of The Revolution Where You Live, Stories from a 12,000-Mile Journey Through a New America. Sarah, welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Thank you, Justine. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to have you. In your travels, what you have discovered is that there are some models from the grassroots of communities that are working to overcome great hardships. And I'd love for you to share how they're inspiring you and give you hope for the future. Well, I think we forget how many resources we have in our communities. We tend to believe that power comes from Washington, D.C., that there are these smart people on the coasts, you know, the the east or the west coast, who are going to change things up in a good way or bad way. But we forget how much we can actually affect about our own lives where we are. So I took a 12,000-mile road trip, as it turned out. I wanted to visit places that are on the margins of society, places where people don't feel connected to those centers of power, and find out what they are doing. So I visited five different Native American reservations. I went through the Rust Belt, visited the South, visited Appalachia. And I found in every place I went just extraordinary stories of people who are reconnecting with one another, reconnecting with the natural world, and coming up with solutions that that work for them and their families. Sarah, can you think of one that's just sort of popping out for you right now that you can share with us? Cincinnati, Ohio is one place. I interviewed a physician, a, a pediatrician named Dr. Victor Garcia, who was telling me that in his community, the neighborhoods as close as half a mile apart have life expectancies as much as 20 years different because of entrenched poverty, entrenched segregation. He is a healthcare practitioner, just felt like he had to quit only working with the end results of this kind of poverty and exclusion. He needed to look at the causes. And the causes, of course, are in an economic system that marginalized large numbers of people. So he's on fire about the idea of worker ownership because he believes everyone needs to have an opportunity to own part of the economy and to build wealth. And it turns out the whole city of, not the whole city, but major parts of the city of Cincinnati, there are people on fire about worker ownership. The unions are very interested because they've been fighting a losing battle as corporations pick up and move overseas. They've been losing memberships. They've been losing organizing drives. So they want their members to be able to own some of their jobs as well. And then the faith community has gotten very involved. They're influenced by an Old Testament theologian named Walter Brueggemann. And he's been talking to them about the Old Testament and the Jubilee. The Jubilee says, you know, there's a, every so often we need to you know, relieve the debts and free the slaves and return the land. And there are direct analogies to those three things today with the debt being something that so many people are burdened by and is so overwhelming in people's lives. 
slavery in terms of human trafficking, but also in terms of having the highest rate of incarceration of any country in the world. So freeing the slaves and then redistributing the land. Today, mostly wealth is held in other forms than land, but the same principle is true. If you concentrate too much wealth or land in the hands of just a few people, it creates these toxic effects throughout society. So this group of faith leaders in Cincinnati is looking very carefully at the question of what, what would it mean in our city to have a jubilee year? And how is that linked into the notion of worker ownership, of cooperative ownership, and the notion that everyone should be able to own a share of the economy? So it's a fascinating sort of set of circumstances going on right there in Cincinnati. They're also hooking up with the Mondragon Cooperatives in Spain, one of the most successful and largest groups of cooperatives in the world who have been helping them out as they think about how to bring manufacturing and other forms of worker ownership to the Rust Belt. And they've been convening groups of people from all over the country to come there and learn how that might happen. So, Sarah, when you talk about this, it gets very exciting. I love the idea of the Jubilee year. And, you know, we can't think about it like, okay, all of the United States just going into a Jubilee year. But you're talking about here, Cincinnati is beginning to model this. They're testing it out. And it didn't start off that way. It started off probably a small group of people. Do you recall how it actually began? Well, I think there was a number of different small groups of people that were looking at this question. And then they start getting acquainted with one another. And those threads still are happening somewhat separately, and, and sometimes they weave together. But the fact that they're all taking place in one place-based community means that there can be this synergy, that people can be learning from one another and supporting one another. And it's face-to-face. That helps. That's right. And it takes place over time. The country as a whole is so huge that I think some of these ideas become abstract and we kind of lose track of one innovation or the other. But in a place-based community, you can start building over time the knowledge and the understanding and the relationships and the relationships are so key here. I think that's that's where we get our strength because in any group of people, there are different strengths, different talents that people bring. Uh, I think a lot of folks think of leadership as being one sort of personality style, the person who can sort of be decisive and get everybody to line up behind him or her. But really, for a group to function well, there are so many different qualities that you need and different people bring those. And in a place-based community, where you're building on those relationships, you can form a whole that is is far greater than the sum of the parts. And then I'm thinking also it becomes, at least in my experience, a bit of self-selection in some ways, like somebody might be really good at working computers and another one might be really good at note-taking. And people really appreciate that. And someone else is doing some research. They're really good at doing that. And they say, well, I'll do that. And that's kind of the way it starts to happen. It's not like people get assigned to things that they don't care about. That's right. And the thing that I love about what happens organically is other things come to the fore, too, like the person who knows when to make a joke. Or the person who can lead everybody in a song, just when we really need our spirits lifted, somebody who just knows the right song and can get everybody singing. So there's so many, such a wide range of talents. Our, Our culture tends to consider certain ones really important and valuable, and we pay million dollar bonuses to certain kinds of talents. 
But really, those other ones that evoke creativity, that bring us together, that bring us hope, those are so important as well. Exactly. These seemingly small movements, they're not, as you said, not from the top down. They're organic. They're happening like aspen trees. They look like separate trees, but underneath the ground, they're all connected. Yes, you know, the ecosystem is a good example when you have a succession of ecosystems. One ecosystem may be on the way out and another one emerging. And I think that's the situation we are in today. I think there's much about the system we've had since the Industrial Revolution, large corporations, focus on consumerism and individualism, all the racism that goes with that, that is embodied in that, and the colonialism that's embodied in that. I think that whole system is in the process of collapsing. It's already collapsed for a number of people. And for others, I think the signs are there, especially with the climate crisis, that we can't continue as we are. So something else is emerging to take its place. And I think there's a very interesting question to be asked. What is that? And where does that come from? And of course, it can't be a top-down process. Philosophers and visionaries concede their ideas, but it has to be bottom-up. It has to be the things that people in their communities vote with their hands, vote with their feet to create. And then we can learn from one another as we do that. We can learn about what those innovations are and how we might want to move forward. As this one age starts to recede, the industrial age, even the age of information, as possibly some have called it, the age of wisdom starts to rise up, or yet to be named what age it might be. It's not happening in a void. There are models that are present right here being made, being manifested and modeled right now. That's right. And it isn't any one group that has a monopoly on them. When I was traveling, I was visiting places from Detroit all the way to the reservation in southeast Montana, the Northern Cheyenne Reservation, to little towns in Appalachia. And everywhere I went, I saw signs of this emergence. So part of what I think our job is, is to recognize that, celebrate it, and learn from one another because we, we can create a whole that is so much more than the sum of the parts that way. It's exciting. I thank you so much for giving us hope and inspiration. And I want to remind people that in the back of the book, you list 101 ways to actually reclaim local power. So these are all sorts of ideas that you might plug into if you think you need an idea I just encourage people to take a look at the experience that Sarah has had in her travels and the conversation she's had with people in local communities and what they're doing and the successes that they're having. So I want to thank you so much for being part of the New Dimensions Cafe today, Sarah. Well, thank you so much. I'm delighted. And I love the term cafe. I'd spent a lot of the time on my road trip in coffee shops talking to people. I realized later when I listened to the recordings and kept hearing the clinking of coffee cups in the background. So those are great places where people get together. And I think that's, that's what this is all about. Great reminder. I've been speaking with Sarah Van Gelder, and she is the co-founder of Yes Magazine and the author of The Revolution Where You Live, stories from a 12,000-mile journey through a new America. And if you want to know more about her work, you can go to her website, revolutionwhereyoulive.org, 
or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Thank you for joining us on the New Dimensions Cafe. I invite you to please join us again. You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than a thousand hours of programs, to subscribe to our newsletters, or to become a member, please visit us at newdimensions.org. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support.